Good morning. Well, if you can see from the notes that you should have received when you got a bulletin this morning, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about popularity. Popularity. And popularity in 2022 looks a little different than it did in generations past. I looked at a couple of recent surveys, and according to one of those surveys, 86, that's 86% of people who are in Gen Z or the millennial generation, so that's basically everyone born from 1980 after, according to this survey, 86% of them would like to be able to post content online for money. 86% of millennials and Gen Z would like to be able to post content online to make money. Looking a little younger, if you a recent survey, this one was very recent, of kids ages 8 to 12. So 8 to 12-year-olds were asked, when you grow up, would you like to be an astronaut, a musician, a pro athlete, a teacher, or a YouTuber? And I'll let you guess what the most popular answer was. A YouTuber was most popular answer for kids ages 8 through 12. Our, our culture values things like followers, friends, subscribers, likes, retweets, shares. And let me be clear, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But if we spend a life that is based around pursuing those things, it's bound to be a life of disappointment. Now, maybe you hear me say those things, you're like, well, I don't care about popularity like that. That's what those kids are into. But I, we all have this temptation to seek popularity. We all desire approval. We want to be affirmed and validated. We want people to like us and agree with the things we're saying, respect us. And if we're, if we're not careful, that desire to be approved and affirmed by others can push us very far away from God. And so perhaps Jesus can show us a better way. We're going to see today that Jesus was very popular, but he responded to popularity differently than we do. If you haven't been here, we're studying through the gospel according to Mark, and we're seeking to discover who Jesus is according to God's word. Last week, Pastor Tom was sharing, and he was saying how Jesus is the commander of the Lord's army, and he's the physician in the Lord's infirmary. He wins battles, and he heals his people. But we could ask, why does he do this? Why does Jesus fight this darkness? Why does he heal his people? Well, our passage today is going to help us to see why. Today we're in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And we're going to discover that Jesus responds to popularity with prayer, by preaching God's word, and by showing pity or compassion on those in, around him. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. If you'd like to use that blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you, you should find it on page 995. We'll also have it up on the screen. And I'd ask you that once we're there, if you are able, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage for today. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Mark, chapter 1, Mark, big one, starting the little verse... 35. Verse 35 begins this way. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Verse 38, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go on to the next towns 
that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40 tells us, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Lord, you have created us with a desire to have connection with other people, to know others, to spend time together with the other human beings that you've made. Oh, but God, please keep us from seeking their approval and popularity. Instead, Lord, teach us to follow the example of your son. Show us how he responded to that popularity by seeking time to pray alone with you. How his desire was to preach your word and how he showed pity and compassion on those in need. Lord, build in us those same desires to pray to value your word and to show compassion. Lord, may we see clearly who your son is and in light of his glory, may we decrease and worship him. It's in his name, the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to talk about three ways that Jesus responded to popularity that we see in this text. The first way that we see Jesus responded is with prayer. Jesus responded to popularity with prayer. And if you remember, where we're starting here picks up right at the tail end of where Pastor Tom finished. And if you remember, he talked about how there were all these things that happened in one day. Jesus healed a man with a demon. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then all these people were coming to him long into the evening wanting to be healed. It was a long day. He must have been tired. But Jesus still knew that he desperately needed time with his heavenly Father. He knew he had to depend on God's power. So verse 35 tells us that very early in the morning, before daylight, while it was still dark, he goes to pray. And if you look at that verse, there's actually four verbs, four actions Jesus is taking here. He is rising very early. He's departing. He's going. He went out to a desolate place, and then he prayed. Jesus was determined to make this happen. He took actions and steps so he could spend time in prayer. And this was a common practice for Jesus. We can see this elsewhere in the Gospels. If we look in the Gospel of Luke, we read this. It says, Now even more the report of him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to, heal, to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. The great crowds are there, but he would withdraw 
to desolate places and pray. He wanted to spend time with his father. And think about it, it must have been because of his great love for his father. You don't slip away from other people to go do something you hate. No, he slipped away from the crowd so he could spend time with God, the one he loved. Yet we read in our passage that this brief time of fellowship with the father is interrupted by Simon Peter and some of his other followers. Verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And maybe we know in our hearts, you know, I should be praying, but I feel like I get interrupted all the time by, by kids, by, by a friend, or by a text message, an email, or something. Well, Jesus is familiar with prayers being interrupted. He can sympathize with you in that. He goes, he takes the effort to go out to a desolate place, and yet he still is interrupted in his time of prayer. Why? Because Simon Peter was searching for him. Everyone in town was looking for him. They'd seen all his miracles. They wanted to see more of what he could do. Simon and probably the early disciples, they're, they're very excited about this. They're searching for Jesus. They said, Jesus, people want to see you. This is great. We can build a big crowd. Your popularity can spread. But Jesus has clearer eyes here. He can see that this crowd is just interested in more miracles, and they are uninterested in God's truth. Peter, the disciples, they see the crowds. They miss the importance of relying on God in prayer. And so our response, when we're tempted to see popularity or approval, what's one way we can respond? Well, we can seek private or secret prayer, private prayer. We see in Jesus a, a model for us that we should set aside time for private prayer, not as an extra obligation for our day, but because it's something we need to live for the Lord. Now, don't mishear me, because Scripture speaks about public prayers. Several people have been up front here and have prayed today. Absolutely, we can pray in public. But if we are not first praying in private, alone with God, then our public prayers amount to very little. The British pastor Charles Spurgeon, he speaks about Jesus' heart for prayer. He says, Jesus loved to put prayer first of all. He would go nowhere till he had prayed. He would attempt nothing till he had prayed. He would not cast out a devil. He would not preach a sermon. He would work no cure, however necessary, however profitable, until first of all, he had drawn near to God. Seeking God alone in prayer is important. Now, as we look at this verse 35, it talks about it happening early in the morning. It doesn't seem to be a command here. It's pointing us to the example of Jesus. It's not a command, thou shalt pray first thing in the morning. Early prayers are a helpful discipline for many people, probably for most of us, but I understand different life situations, particularly if you have young children or, or a difficult uh, situation at home. I understand that. Do what works for you and your situation in life. Don't use your circumstances to ignore Christ's example. I'm like, well, pastor, I'd like to pray early, but the kids get, get up early. Okay, well then find another time you can set aside for prayer. The goal is communication with God, not I must pray first thing in the morning. And maybe you are extremely busy in this time of life. You say, maybe there's five minutes at this part of the day. Well, then use that time for prayer. Another English pastor, J.C. Ryle, said to be prayerless 
is to be Christless, godless, and in the high road to destruction. That's a strong language, but he speaks to the benefit on the other side. He says, it will always be found that when prayers are few, grace, strength, peace, and hope are small. If you're struggling to find grace, strength, peace, hope in your life, then invest in private time of prayer. We need that prayer, and good results follow when we pray. I'm not only talking about how God answers prayer, but the more exposed we are to God in prayer, the more we look like Him, the better we reflect His character. If Jesus impresses you, you want to look more, live more like Jesus, then spend time in prayer. Start small, set aside a little time one day this week, and grow from there. Grow in prayer. Jesus spent this time in prayer to be with God, but also because he knew he had a mission. And this is another way he responds to popularity, not only with prayer, but he responded to popularity with preaching, with preaching. The disciples wanted Jesus to start healing again. That's what the people like. They want to draw another crowd, but Jesus feels differently about that. He says that he wants to go to the next towns, the villages, somewhere else that he may preach the good news there. And then he adds in verse 38 that preaching is the reason why he came out, the reason why he came and started his ministry. If I were to put my 21st century eyes on this, I would say Jesus is terrible at brand recognition. He's, he doesn't see what's working for him here. The people want healing. They want to, Jesus to do these miracles. But Jesus places value on preaching. He wants to proclaim God's kingdom more than he wants to be popular. Again, he puts this value on preaching. Sometimes people call it the primacy of preaching because he was a preacher. The disciples thought getting this crowd was important. The people want healing, let's give them more healings. But Jesus, Jesus viewed his preaching, what he said, as more important than his healing. After all, he says that that's why he came out, was to preach the good news to those around him. In doing that, he's fulfilling an Old Testament prediction about the Messiah. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the the Messiah, because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus' preaching is his rescue mission. He used his popularity as an opportunity to preach. He knew that the main need of the people listening to him was not their physical healing, but God's salvation. Because a, a physical healing is temporary at best. Eventually, they would die. So Jesus was more concerned about what would last forever. And that's what he does. Verse 39 tells us he travels throughout the region of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So what can we learn from that? Well, we learn that we too should value the preaching, the teaching of God's word. If Jesus valued it, then we should too. And I'm so thankful that here at this church we do that because God's word is declared, it is proclaimed every Sunday up here and and taught in many different classes throughout the building. Here, 
preaching, declaring God's words used to build God's people up and to challenge those who do not know him to respond to the one true God. And when I say this, you may say, well, that, that seems almost arrogant, Pastor, for you to be talking about it. But I'm not saying about me. I'm talking about the act that we have preaching here is important. It's valuable. We give a platform for God's word to be taught. Now, do not misunderstand when I say this. I'm not saying anything negative. I'm not saying, I'm not planning to go anywhere in any way, shape, or form. But if for some reason I wasn't here, let me implore you, the members of East Shore, to make preaching a priority here at this church. Make it a primary ministry of the church. Because that's what Jesus did. He could do anything. He is God. He could literally have done anything, but he chose to be a preacher. Look what J.C. Ryle says about this. He says, the faithful preacher of the gospel is handling the very weapon which the Son of God was not ashamed to employ. Jesus valued the preaching of God's word. So just because something is new, exciting, popular, or this is something we should try, we can do those things, but we should not give up the priority of preaching. So Jesus prayed, he preached in response to the popularity that he found, but he also took time to show pity, to show pity or to show compassion. I put both of those words there because in our day and age, pity has a very negative connotation. It seems kind of demeaning and, and kind of arrogant. But if we're talking about Jesus, who is God, uh, pity is an appropriate word because he is God and we are not. So he definitely can have pity on us, and we're grateful that he does. But in terms of how we model it, uh, compassion may be a better word to help us grasp what, how he calls us to respond. So let's look at how this pity, this compassion worked in Jesus' life. We see in verse 40 that he's approached by a leper. A leper, that would have been somebody infected with a serious skin disease. In the Bible, that word can refer to multiple skin issues, so we don't know exactly what kind. But regardless, under the Old Testament law, lepers were considered to be unclean, which meant they couldn't worship God. And if you got near them or you touched them, then you couldn't come to the temple to worship God either. The book of Leviticus talks about this. In Leviticus chapter 13, look what it says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and he shall cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. In case we didn't get the point, he says he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp, away from other people. And I just picked two verses here, but that whole chapter is a long passage where there's guidelines to prevent the spread of this contagious disease. And the point is you need to stay far away. But think about how that would have felt if you were that person. You are then almost condemned to a life of shame. Imagine that. Anytime anybody gets close to you, you are required by the law to shout out, unclean, unclean. This man would have been completely isolated with no hope for the future. To survive, he would be dependent on the charity of others and whatever he could find around him. 
In this way, this desperate, broken state, perhaps he reminds us of the isolating and destructive power of sin, our rebellion against God, that keeps us broken and separated from other people and separated from the Lord. But here, this leper in particular, he comes to Jesus imploring, begging him. He kneels as a sign of respect because Jesus is his only hope. And he says to the Lord, if you will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We read that in that verse we just saw from Leviticus. He could only be clean if he was healed. But it's interesting this man says this because he must have seen or heard enough about Jesus to know or believe that Jesus had the power to heal. That says a whole lot about his faith because leprosy was a disease that they didn't have a cure for at that time. If we go back to the Old Testament, there's a powerful verse talking about who can cure leprosy. There's a story about a man named Naaman who wants to be healed of his leprosy, and he goes to the king of Israel and asks him if he can be healed. And this passage, 2 Kings 5, talks about what that king does. When the king of Israel read this letter, this man wants to be healed of leprosy, he tore his clothes. He said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? See, the king is saying, am I God? Only God can cure this leprosy. I can't do that. So but this leper, he's heard about Jesus, and what he's heard has convinced him this man has the power of God. This man can heal me. So he comes to Jesus, and our passage, verse 41, tells us that Jesus is greatly moved. He's greatly moved with pity and compassion. The idea is that his whole body is affected by this compassion. The closest we could probably come to thinking about it is perhaps if you're a parent and you see your child sick or hurting, that type of feeling. Or maybe you see a loved one who has suffered a lot, that feeling was in him, that kind of emotion. Some translations take this word in a different direction. The NIV translates it indignant or angry. And and if it's that, then perhaps Jesus is angry at the effects of sin and suffering on this man. He hated the disease. He sought to show compassion to this man who was suffering. But regardless, Jesus responds by saying, I will, I am willing, be clean and cleansed. He has a compassionate heart. And then Jesus does something truly amazing here. He reaches out and touches this man who was untouchable. This man may have not been touched by another human being for years. And I like how the verse structures it in verse 41. It's almost this dramatic tension here. So he's moved with this pity. And it could just say, and he touched him. But no, it says he stretched out his hand, almost like it's slow motion, and he touched this leper. The holy, perfect God with no fault, nothing wrong with him, utter perfection. This perfect God in human flesh touches a broken, sinful part of his creation and restores it. What amazing grace. What great compassion our Lord has. 
And that reach may have been slow, but the result is immediate. And if you remember, that's a key word in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 42 tells us, and immediately the leprosy left him. It disappeared and he was clean. Pastor Spurgeon says, Jesus speaks and it is done. Leprosy yielded to no human remedies, but it fled at once at the Lord's I will. Oh, this is Jesus' immense power. He does have God's power because he is God. He has power over this dreadful disease. And there's, there's something that I found really profound thinking about this that I read. The law said touching a leper made you unclean. If you touch someone who was a leper, then you were unclean. So what happens to Jesus? Well, one scholar I was reading named Hans Bayer said Jesus' love, mercy, and power are such that at his touch, instead of making Jesus unclean, actually makes the leper clean. A normal person would touch a leper and they would become unclean, but Jesus has such love, mercy, and power that he touches this leper and instead the leper becomes clean. There is a new order coming through Jesus Christ. Uncleanness can be healed. People can be restored to God. Truly, the leper probably responded in words of that verse we read earlier, Isaiah 49, Sing for joy, O heavens, exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Oh, and, and friends, that, that same message is true for you. That same Savior is here for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever that, that suffering, that burden, that affliction is, Jesus is able to bring his comfort and his compassion into your life. We may not experience the, the physical disease of leprosy, but we are all infected with the deadly disease of sin. And has Jesus cleansed you of sin? God's word shows us that he has compassion on us. He can save us. He calls us to repent, to turn from sin, to, like this man, come to Jesus and say, if you will, Jesus, you can make me clean. You can save me. To trust and believe that he can. And he is faithful to save. So Jesus shows compassion. What, what's our response then? Well, our response is to do the same, to show compassion to others. Jesus had pity on this man he calls us to show compassion to those who are suffering and hurting. God speaks about this a lot in his word. Uh, a passage that came across this week, I think we talked about it on Wednesday nights in our, on our Proverbs class. It speaks about our fast. If we're going to do an act of worship for God, what act does he want? Well, Isaiah 58 says, is not this the fast I choose? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. I think that last phrase is key, seeing compassion. It's not hiding ourselves from those who are experiencing suffering. To show compassion, sympathy, a willingness to help and do what we can, and empathy to understand where they are. One pastor, Kent Hughes, put it this way, we will never affect others as Christ did unless there is contact and identification. 
we have to be willing to take the hand of those whom we would help. He says sometimes a touch, and by that he means caring involvement, will do a thousand times more than our theology. Now, don't mishear him there. He's not saying that it's not important what we believe. It absolutely is. He's a firm believer in God's word as, as I am. But at the same time, our beliefs, our theology, are, can be expressed, shown to others through compassion. And that's why compassion is more important than being popular. It's very popular today to ignore suffering. It's popular to join in the crowd and beat up or tear down someone who is struggling. And then let's be clear, the glee we may feel when someone we don't like is experiencing suffering, that, that glee is unbecoming. It's inappropriate for a follower of Christ. Yes, someone may be suffering as a result of sin. We usually don't know that for sure, but even if they are suffering because of their sin, oh, then what a powerful opportunity to impact them with the good news of the gospel, to bring the hope of Jesus to one who is suffering. Jesus builds his kingdom through individual acts of compassion, and he calls us, his people, to do the same because he values individual people. I read a quote from one pastor, Michael Ramsey, who said, our Lord gives many hours to one woman of Samaria, one Nicodemus, one Martha, one Mary, one Lazarus, one Simon Peter, I could add, one leper. And he does that because the infinite worth of the one is key to the Christian understanding of the many. If we're going to understand how God's kingdom is built, we show compassion to the one who is in need because every person has value and dignity and is worthy of compassion. Well, how does the rest of this play out? How does Jesus' compassion play out in this story? What's the result? We, we see that in verses 43 and 44, which, like several other places in the Gospels, Jesus would instruct or warn those he healed not to tell others because he was focused on that person. He wasn't interested in getting attention for what he has done. He wanted followers. He wanted disciples to follow him, but he didn't want a crowd that was interested in entertainment. He didn't want a mob that thought he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. Look what this verse says. Jesus sternly charged him, sent him away at once, and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Why did Jesus say this to people? One passage that can answer us for us is one, Matthew 12, 15 through 21. I didn't put that on the PowerPoint because it's a longer one. I did put it in your notes, though. But that passage fleshes out that reason. It says by not telling people, or by telling them not to tell others, he is fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah of the suffering servant who's not interested in drawing attention to himself, but is instead interested in helping others, loving others, securing their salvation. Jesus knew that he had a truth to share. He had a sacrifice to make. His intention was not to overthrow Romans. His intention was not to make the biggest following in the world while he was there. No, his intention was to share God's truth. And so he tells the man, you don't need to tell anyone about this because people will misunderstand. But he also sends him to the priest. Second half of the verse says, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses 
commanded for a proof for them. He obeyed the instruction of the law. This is how lepers were able to re-enter society. A priest examined them to make sure the disease was gone. A sacrifice was offered according to God's word. So Jesus went out of his way to obey God's law, to prove that his message is true, is valid. He is God in human flesh. He's testifying to his truth. But Jesus is so great that this secret cannot be hidden. The Lord indeed had come. His identity as the Messiah was so obvious that people couldn't help talking about who he is and what he did. And so this man, in his joy, he cannot help but share freely what happened to him. Verse 45 says, he went out, he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. We'll see this throughout the Gospel of Mark. Later in chapter 7, he does another healing, and Jesus, this is Mark 7, 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. In our passage, this ex-leper, he spread the news to such an extent that Jesus rarely could go into towns. Instead, he had to stay in desolate, deserted, unpopulated, lonely places. Yet even there, people came from everywhere to him. Passage says, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus just cannot stay hidden. We'll see large crowds again and again throughout the Gospel of Mark. But as Jesus knew, even in that conversation with his disciples that we talked about earlier, he knew that most of these crowds were not interested in him or what he had to say. They wanted a show. They wanted entertainment. They wanted to see something incredible. They missed the purpose of what God was doing. So unlike what we may expect or what the world tells us, being popular proved to be an issue for Jesus. It, it made it difficult for him to do what God had called him to do. And there's, there's something else interesting in this story, a contrast that I saw when I was reading from scholar Danny Aiken, and I really like this. He said, ironically, Jesus and the leper have traded places. The leper is now on the inside with family and friends, and Jesus is on the outside in a lonely and desolate place. And he realizes this picture of substitution, of switching places, is the heart of the gospel, the good news. It is why Jesus came. Just as in this switch these two men have, Jesus switched places with us. He took our punishment so that we could be made right with God and have eternal life. Jesus defined himself by this type of compassion. And then he had to deal with issues of popularity. Our tendency is the opposite. We like to define ourselves by seeking popularity. How many people approve us or agree with what we say? And then we do acts of compassion if we have the time. Well, Jesus sets a different example. Mark 10, 45 tells us that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. He came to lay down his life so that we could know God. So what conclusion can we draw from all of this? Well, 
I guess the title of the sermon was Popularity Versus Compassion, then the conclusion would be compassion is greater, worth more than popularity. I love Jesus' heart of compassion here in this story. Instead of healing before crowds of cheering fans, Jesus finds the most socially isolated person he can to heal. Someone who couldn't be near anyone else, who nobody was supposed to be close to. That's the person Jesus chooses to heal. So yes, Jesus was popular with the people, but he did not chase their approval. He didn't seek that popularity. He didn't seek out the rich, the famous, those who had influence to heal. No, he healed this person who was forgotten, marginalized, pushed to the side. Those were the type of people Jesus healed. But ironically, even though he did that, even though he's healing somebody who's away from everyone else, it made Jesus even more popular. More people were coming to see him. I think very practically that shows us how foolish it is to chase after popularity because it's so fickle. Jesus wasn't trying to be popular and ended up with crowds of people wanting to see what he was doing. I actually watched a a video this week from someone on YouTube who was just talking about making things on YouTube, and this person admitted that most internet fame is accidental. It's almost impossible to predict what will be popular and why. And for this person, he found the more he tried, the less popular he was. And so this person said that for him, it was better for him to do what he loved to do than to try to make something popular. And I think in the same way, we are called to model Christ, the one we love, whether that is popular or not. Jesus responded to popularity by investing in private prayer with God, in preaching God's word, and having compassion toward those in need. This is how God's kingdom advances. This is how we're called to respond. We pray, we depend on God. We share the gospel through our words or through supporting the preaching of his word. And then we live it out through acts of compassion. And you know what? That, that won't always be popular. Some people won't like it. They'll hear you sharing God's word or, or the, whoever you're listening to preaching God's word, and they'll say, you're too conservative. You're, you're bigoted. Or they'll look at your acts of compassion for others, and they'll say, you're too liberal. You're too weak. You have a bleeding heart. But what they say is irrelevant because we don't define ourselves by those words. We define ourselves by Christ alone. And if we model him faithfully, there will be some who are drawn to it because the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. In our faithfulness, God will be glorified because we are modeling his son, our Lord and Savior. And those who are drawn to our compassionate Jesus, whether for the fact of how he prays, how he preaches, or the love he shows to others, those people who are drawn to him will then join us in worshiping him because he alone is worthy of worship.